0: Great to see you this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 as we're going through uh, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4 1 through 16. I want to thank everybody that helped make the father daughter dance happen on Friday night. It was a great time. Y'all missed it. I was busting a move on the dance floor. So it's quite the outing. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the the body of Christ. Uh, And Lord, as we're challenged to to grow in our walk, we just ask that you would be gracious uh, to help us to live out the things that you have invested into us by your grace. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a really exciting day uh, in my life when all four of my kids went mobile and started walking. I remember with our oldest daughter, Hannah, uh, when she first walked, we were downtown at the YMCA at the gymnasium there watching a basketball game, and it was halftime. She looked across the gym, something caught her attention, and that was enough, and she walked across the the gym floor. And prior to that, she was doing the, the mom and dad handhold, where you would hold her hands, and then she had the confidence uh, to walk across uh, the gym, gym floor. With our second daughter, Addie, uh, she went from walking to running. There wasn't a lot of walking, it was just once she got mobile, she, she was running, and she was off, and exciting to see her do that. Eileen is our power walker. Uh, She's our third daughter and we were at Mueller State Park and she was just walking and on this hike she decided that she was not going to let anybody carry her and she had to be in front of the whole family. So we've got this picture of this little girl just walking with power out in front of everybody else. And then Wyatt, our youngest, our son, uh, he just went for wheels. That's how he wanted to be mobile. A friend of ours got him a a Strider bike, gave him their hand-me-down Strider bike. How many of you guys have seen the Strider bikes? It's a pretty cool way for kids to learn how to, to ride bikes. At really young ages, they get these bikes uh, and there's no pedals, there's no no brakes, no training wheels. So he got one of these at probably like 18 months and I was like, let's try it. You know, so the first night we got it, sun was going down, it was already getting dark, we're out on the driveway. And my wife's like, what in the world are you doing? I'm like, it's our first sun, it's time. So <laughs> 18 months old, and he just zips down the driveway, and, and that was it. He, he always wanted to be on his Strider bike. He'd go through a pair of shoes in like two months because there's no brakes. So his shoes were, were the brakes on, on those things. And why was that so exciting for me as a dad? Because our children were going to another stage of maturity you know, and as they're, they're infants and you're holding them, you're enjoying that, but you don't want your child to be an infant forever, right? You know, you, you want to continue to see them grow and continue to see them mature, and that's the same for the Lord. He's wanting us to grow. He's wanting us to walk worthy of our calling. In these first three chapters of Ephesians, we looked at our true identity in Christ. What's, what's our identity in Christ? The position that we've received, that we're accepted, we're beloved, we're forgiven, we're adopted, we're predestined. All of these things, as soon as we trust in Christ, that we have in Christ our identity, that we're seated with Christ in the heavens. Now, as we get into chapter four, there's a change in the book. There's a shift in the book, and we're encouraged to walk. It's, it's our response to the grace that God has given The grace has been invested in us and now we begin to live this out. You could also call the second half of the book of Ephesians Christian living. It's how to to live out our relationship with the Lord. So verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The word therefore brings us back to the prior truths of our identity in Christ, the position that we've received the end of chapter three, that we're rooted and grounded in love. Based on God's love, then we're challenged to walk worthy of our calling. Paul also reminds us he's a prisoner of the Lord. He is in prison as he is writing these letters. Not a prison of his circumstances, but a prison of Jesus Christ. He sees himself captive to Jesus. Besiege is to plead. He's, He's pleading with us. This is our proper response to the grace that God has given to us. Walk worthy of your calling. We're not walking to earn or deserve God's favor. We're not walking to be worthy. We've received God's favor and now we simply get to to live that out. And I hope you hear that, I hope you understand that, that your Christian maturity doesn't determine God's love for you, but we're simply now responding to God's love and desiring to mature in our relationship with the Lord. The first area that we're challenged to grow in is the area of unity. It says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to be united. We're all in this together. What are the four attitudes and attributes that lead to unity. Unity is based in character. We could strive for unity, but if we don't have these characteristics in our lives in verse 2, we're not going to get very far. So first, we're encouraged with lowliness. Lowliness is humility. How do we develop humility in our lives? It's to understand God's grace, how he has forgiven us of our sin And also how God is not giving us what we deserve this morning. He's not giving us the judgment we deserve this morning. If I'm living in and believing and trusting God's grace, that that's going to affect my ability to have humility towards others, to have lowliness towards others. John Stott in his commentary of Ephesians says, pride lurks behind all discord. With the greatest single secret of concord is humility. Pride lurks behind all discord. Because pride is the opposite of humility. Pride's the opposite of of loneliness. Pride leads to selfishness. When I'm in that place of pride, I'm not concerned with the body of Christ. I'm not concerned with others. I'm not concerned with unity. I'm only concerned with, with myself. When unity falls apart inside of the home, why is that? It's because of pride. It's because of lack of humility, a lack of lowliness. And then gentleness. Christ is gentle. He said that he was meek and, and lowly. Gentleness means meekness, power under control. Isn't it wonderful to be around gentle people? To, to see the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives where, where they're Gentle. You know, I think of when I get frustrated and when I get angry, the fruit that comes from or the effect that comes from the lack of gentleness. So as we focus on gentleness, it's going to lead to unity. And we're also encouraged to suffer long, long suffering, to be willing to be patient with people or be willing to endure with people. We're all growing in Christ. We're all progressing in Christ. And sometimes it's messy, isn't it? Sometimes it's, it's difficult. We're not gonna change people. God's the one who changes us. And so being willing to come alongside someone and suffer along with them and endure and not give up on them, and that leads to bearing with one another in love. When I think of bearing with someone, it almost sounds like you're tolerating them or you're putting up with them. And that's not the idea of bearing with somebody. It's out of true love to say, I am going to come alongside of you and to try to, to, try to help you and bear the burdens that you're carrying. And this leads into the exhortation that we're to endeavor to, to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We don't have to try to create unity inside of the body of Christ. We're already unified because of our faith in Jesus. We, we have been made the body of Christ. That's a reality. Our job is to steward it. Our, our job is to try to keep it and not loo- lose sight of it. If you're fortunate enough where your spouse is a believer, you have unity in Christ, and so you want to steward that. You know, we've been blessed with a, a tremendous unity as, as a body of Christ here, Rocky Mountain Calvary, We love one another, we care for one another, we don't have a lot of of fighting and and division. Not that we can't struggle with that, but by God's grace, God's given us unity, and then to be able to say, I wanna keep that. The the word keep means spare no effort. There's urgency in it. Do do everything necessary, everything possible to keep this, this bond of peace. Psalms 133 tells us how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's good and it's pleasant when there's harmony. God pours out his blessing in in unity. I think you can feel it in your home when there's unity. Not perfection, but we're unified. I think you can feel it in a body of believers when when there's unity. When our pastoral team, when we're loving each other and caring for each other, you may not see that and know that, but you can feel that. You can go, you know what? The pastors here are for each other. They're not competing with each other or, or backbiting or doing those, those type of things. It's, it's like in a, in a home when mom and dad are for each other, you feel that. And you go, oh man, that, there's a blessing here. Mom and dad have got each other's back and, and God wants us as believers to have each other's back and there's a blessing that flows through, through unity. Jesus prayed that we would be one as the Father and Jesus are one in John 17. That, that's an incredible unity. The world is gonna see that we're Christ's disciples by the way that we love one another. We have a very divided culture. Wouldn't it be a wonderful time for a lost and dying world to see a united church? With a culture that's divided, we have the opportunity to show the love of Christ in our unity and our care for one another. So how would we keep the unity of peace? There's times where we need to forgive. There's times we need to be forgiven. We need to be able to have the wisdom to say, you know what? This is not an issue that's going to result in somebody's salvation. This is a non-salvation issue. So this is something that we can be able to agree to disagree on. Does this mean when we talk about unity that everything goes? No, it's, it's a unity that's found in Christ. It's a unity that's found in the scriptures. When it does come to salvation, we need to make sure that we're clear on and it's unity inside of the truth. But let's be honest, a lot of disagreements in our homes and in the body of Christ are not over doctrinal biblical issues, are they? Husbands and wives, when was the last time you had a fight with your spouse on the doctrine of justification by faith. Is that, is that what's, what's dividing you? No, it's, it's our selfishness, it's our personal preferences. I, I want things done this way. And unfortunately, the church as a whole has, has fought over a lot of unnecessary things that have led to division. We see everything we have in common in verses four through six. There's one body, one spirit, just as we were called in hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. What is it that we're unified in? What is it that causes us all to be together? Is one body. We literally are one body in, in Christ. We're one spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have one hope of our calling. What a day for Billy Graham this week to go home into God's presence a life well lived, a faithful servant unto the Lord, the hope of his calling fulfilled. I couldn't help but feel some joy in my heart when I heard that he got to go home to be with the Lord at 99 years old and his wife already uh, being with the Lord. And for all of us as believers, that's the hope of our calling. We have the same hope. We're all gonna end up at God's throne room one Lord, we have one Savior, Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism. We're baptized into Christ, one God and Father. We have the the same Father, and this causes us to have a tremendous unity inside of the body of Christ. So here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, we want to be for each other in this local fellowship and also for the body of Christ in Colorado Springs. Guys, we're really blessed in Colorado Springs to have a lot of great churches that love the Lord, that love the word, that love this community and are reaching out to to lost believers. And we're one. We're in this together. And so we need to make sure that we understand that and hold that in, 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 our, in our hearts. It always makes me nervous if you've got a, a group of believers and they feel exclusive and there isn't a, a love for the body of Christ a, as a whole. So we want to be a blessing to the body of Christ as a whole in, in Colorado Springs. You know, there's room for more churches in Colorado Springs. Wouldn't you agree? You know, th- this is not a reached city. I don't know if you realize that, but there's a lot of people here that don't know Jesus, right? So so we, we would love to see more churches come into to Colorado Springs. And I can honestly say, uh, the the pastors in this city are my friends, they're my brothers in Christ, we have fellowship with one another, and we're for each other, we're not competing with each other, you know? When Vanguard Church grows, praise the Lord, when Discovery Church grows, praise the Lord, when Mountain Springs grows, praise the Lord, you know? We we wanna see the kingdom of God uh, expanded, and we're in this together, and I think as we live in such dark times spiritually, and our culture is changing, it's much more important for us to link arms with believers. If you know Christ as your savior, you trust Christ as your savior, man, we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we are for each other. And that's the unity that we've been given. And part of our walk, part of our growth is understanding this unity and desiring to to keep this unity. Verses seven through nine speak of diversity, that we have all received gifts. Inside of this unity, it doesn't mean that we're all the same. In verse seven, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So notice the connection. Grace has been given to each of us in Christ. When we were given Christ, we were given grace. Grace for salvation, but also grace for service, that we have been given gifts. When Christ ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this, he ascended, what does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. So Christ died, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended to be with the Father and when he did that to all believers he gave us spiritual gifts and this is an expression of God's grace so inside of this body that's unified we each have specific gifts that were given by the Lord now for many of us we look at this and we go I don't really believe that I have received a spiritual gift from God somehow when God was handing out the gifts he forgot me that this, this, this isn't me. And now we've got to wrestle with scripture and go, no. God says he gave gifts to all men. It's part of, part of his grace. And what an amazing expression of God's grace that he would forgive us, accept us, make us his child. We're united with Christ. But then also, he would give us unique gifts to be able to build up the body of Christ and to love on people that don't know Christ as their savior. So the big question is, well what are my spiritual gifts? Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 give us a more exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts, but I think the greatest way to discover our spiritual gifts is to serve. When God gets a hold of our hearts and we are so enamored with who he is and we want to build up other believers, and love on unbelievers, our gifts are gonna get exposed. You're gonna look back over a period of serving and you're gonna start to discover, you know what, this is my sweet spot. This is what I think God has gifted me to. This is how I tend to approach people and interact with with people. Many times our spiritual gifts are lined up with our natural gifts. What do I mean? Everyone that God has created in the womb is engineered hardwired with some gifts. Isn't that pretty cool? Like some of you are really good at art. You're very creative, you can draw, and it's a talent and you've invested in it. But if you're like me and you don't have that talent, I could take art lessons for years and not progress very far. Like stick figures, that's about as far as I'm gonna get, right? Some of you are hardwired with athletics. You know, you put a baseball and a bat in your hand and no problem, and you can excel in the area of, of athletics. Some of you are very gifted musically, and you can sing beautifully, and that comes naturally. And others of you, you're not gifted musically. You, you know who you are, right? Some of you love math and love engineering and organization, and we're trying to figure out why. Why do you love math, right? Why is it that you like calculus and trigonometry and all of those things that the rest of us go to sleep in, right? It's because God's gifted you and he's hardwired you. So we have these natural gifts and then a lot of times our spiritual gifts will come alongside of those. So as you're serving, you'll start to notice, man, I really gravitate towards mercy. My heart is broken for people. And I wanna weep with those who weep. I wanna care for needs. Most likely, you have been gifted with mercy. Some of you start to discover, I don't have a lot of mercy, but I am an exhorter. I can see the next necessary step. What's what's the next necessary step that they need to take, and I want to help people take that step? That's called exhortation. You've been given the gift of, of exhortation. Now, aren't you thankful that not everybody has the same gift? what if everyone in the body of Christ had the gift of exhortation? No one would ever come to church, right? It'd be a pretty difficult place to be. But what if everybody, you know, was in that place of just, everybody had the gift of mercy? Well, then probably people wouldn't take the next necessary step that, that was needed. So you're gonna discover your gifts as you have a heart to serve. And maybe for some you actually do know your gifts, but it's been set on the side. you know Timothy was at a place in his life where Paul said, "You need to fan the flame, the gift of God what's in you your your gift has become dormant you're not, you're not using your gift to 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 build up others, but we're reminded in this section of scripture that we all have gifts to be used to to build up the body in verse eleven and he Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So these are specific offices of leadership inside of the church. The apostle means to be sent out. Someone that likes to pioneer new, new works. Prophets is someone who speaks forth God's word powerfully. Not necessarily the explaining of the word, but speaking it forth with power. Forth telling, proclaiming uh, the, the word of God. Evangelists, evangelist, a heart for the lost, and a heart to equip the body to be able to share with the lost. Sometimes if we don't have the, the gift of evangelism, we say, well, that's not my gift, so I don't need to share the gospel with people. But we're going to see one of the jobs of the evangelist is to help equip the body. We've all been given the Great Commission. So even though it's not our, our gift, God still calls us to be able to, to share the gospel uh, with others. Some pastors and some teachers. Pastors that care for the body. And then we see teachers, the explaining of God's word. Now the purpose of of these five gifts of leadership is found in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So these gifts of leadership are hopefully providing equipping for all believers to be able to do the work of the ministry. The word ministry means serving. So all have gifts, but also all are called. We're all called to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Equipping is so wonderful, isn't it? For me, doing home projects, a lot of times, I don't feel equipped. I don't have the ability, I don't have the knowledge of, of working with uh, these tools to try to pull off the, the project that needs to be done. Do you know how frustrating caulking can be if you don't know how to caulk? Like, it seems like a pretty simple concept. You've, you've got the tube, and you've got to get the tube in the necessary place But if a a caulking is done correctly, it is beautiful. I mean, if you notice, you're like, man, somebody knew what they were doing. And then if you don't know how to do it right, it's like bumpy and rigid and gross. And you're like, man, someone looks like they just exploded toothpaste all over my bathroom, right? And I have had a lot of caulking nightmares. (laughs) Until four or five years ago when a friend of mine, he actually taught me how to caulk correctly. And it was a pretty short little education that he gave me over two or three minutes. And I was doing some caulking yesterday, and I was like, man, I'm so thankful that he equipped me to be able to caulk correctly. <laughs> and this is why YouTube has become my best friend. <laughs> if I'm working on the dishwasher, I'm going to YouTube it and look for for a video, because I need to be equipped. I don't have, have the understanding. And, and that's the idea here, is... These positions of leadership are hopefully equipping, giving the information, giving the tools, so that we can do the work of serving and edifying the body of of Christ. Let me share my heart with you on this uh, quickly uh, before we move on. Is I think that we're not experiencing sometimes what God desires for us inside of what we call church. Um, A lot of times we view church only as an individual. And so we evaluate our time at church by what we got out of it, what our experience was. So we come in and, and we start off and we're like, okay, how did I feel about worship today? Oh, they sang a song I really like. I, I got a lot out of worship. I really connected with the Lord in worship. And then we evaluate the teaching and, and we go, you know, I, I like the teaching today. It was, it was good. And uh, yeah, I, I got something out of it. Or we go, man, I didn't really like the teaching today. It was really flat and kind of boring. Sometimes I feel that way, and I'm giving the message, right? It's like, yeah, that didn't that didn't go very well, you know. And when we evaluate the children's ministry, we're like, you know, I don't really like the children's ministry here, or there's not enough kids, or there's too many kids, or you know, the coffee here—they serve blonde coffee. The free coffee is blonde instead of dark, and I, I really like a dark roast, and, and then we 're driving home and that 's church to us it 's focused on me, me, me and me and jesus and I, and I hope that you are getting ministered to and experiencing Christ in worship and experiencing Christ in the Word. But this teaches us even more about church, and church is every time you get together with believers, this time included, but any setting, any time you get together with believers. And what's the mindset of verse 12? How do I serve others? How do I build up others? What's a need in the lives of other believers that God may use me to meet that need? And if we come to church with that mindset or get together with with that mindset, and so we come in and we're in the parking lot, we're in the foyer, who needs encouragement today? I can guarantee you every service at Rocky Mountain Calvary, there's a whole bunch of people that need encouragement. You know, here's, who's someone here today that needs a smile? Who's someone here that needs a, a listening ear? Is there a need here that's unmet? Is there, is there a need in children's ministry? Is there a need with, a, with an usher? You know, we get together with believers maybe in our home or at a coffee shop, and we start thinking, you know, God, how might you use me in their lives to, to build them up? And honestly, church, this is when I think getting together with believers gets really fun. Because yes, you are receiving, but you're also giving. And Jesus taught us it's more blessed to, to give than to receive. Here's the purpose in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So we're investing in one another so that God provides growth. He's given us these gifts, He's given us this calling to serve, and as we're investing. Then God provides the growth. How many times has your walk with God grown because someone invested in you, or even more so, as you start to invest in someone else, you grow that 's one of the best ways to grow is investing in someone else. Our Christian life is going to plateau it 's going to only go to a certain point until we begin to serve others and as we 're serving others there 's a fullness there 's a growth that, that takes place in verse fourteen that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is part of the maturity. This is part of the growth. We're no longer a child who can be deceived, but we've grown in the Lord so we can spot false doctrine. And every wind of doctrine doesn't cause us to be unstable. And there are those out there that are gonna try to trick you Spiritually, And so you want to be in the word and be connected with the body of Christ so that we don't fall prey to false doctrine. In verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. One of the ways that we stay rooted and grounded in sound doctrine is having believers that will speak the truth to us in love. And as we speak the truth in love, we can grow and we can grow into Christ. I want you to catch this phrase in regard to speaking the truth in love. You ready? Say it. Say it straight. Say it lovingly. Say it. Say it straight. Say it lovingly. You ready to participate? Use your voice on the count of three one, two, three. Say it. Say it straight. Say it lovingly. This has really helped me over the years when I apply it. <laughs> Heard it probably f- 15 years ago. Sometimes it's difficult for us to say the truth, isn't it? Because confrontation's hard. With those that we love, we love them. We don't want to hurt them. So there's something that needs to be dealt with. We know it. God's placed it upon our hearts, and it's time to have a difficult conversation, but we don't want to say it. So you have to be willing to speak the truth to say it. Some of you are stuffers. And you view kindness as never saying anything difficult. So you stuff, 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 stuff. And then you know what happens? You blow up. You know, art comes out in a passive aggressive homicidal way. <laughs> right? If there's a real issue, eventually it's going to come out. And if it doesn't come out in a healthy way, it's going to come out in a destructive way. God is calling us in our relationships with each other to say it. Then we have to say it straight. Sometimes someone's trying to tell you something and you can tell it's important, but you have no idea what they're saying because they just, they don't want to come out and say it straight. And so if we're confronting someone in love, we've got to say it, but we also have to say it straight. Just, Just come out and say it clearly. That's part of the truth factor. But then we have to say it lovingly. Some of you are not stuffers. You know you're going to say it. Your family knows you're going to say it. Your friends know that you're you're going to say it, right? And so the challenge then is how do I say this lovingly? How do I communicate this in a way that this person can receive it? Quite honestly, a lot of times when these difficult conversations arise, they're not for the other person's benefit. We're simply irritated. We're frustrated. We can't take it anymore. We want them to make our lives more comfortable and knock off the annoying behavior. <laughs> we have to get past that to the point where we really care about them, that they're our brother and sister in Christ, and start to evaluate how is this affecting their relationship with God and the relationship with others, and we're going with the per- perspective to win our brother or sister in Christ. We're actually concerned about about their growth. Remember, Jesus says to remove the log first so that we can remove the speck. The speck is important, but we have to do some self-examination first and then understanding this is sensitive. Getting in someone's eye is sensitive. When we start to speak the truth and love to one another, it's sensitive, but we need to be willing to receive truth and love. There's some growth that can only happen in my life when I have someone who cares about me enough to share the truth with me in love, I I need to be able to receive it. But then also, I need to be able to, to say it. I need to be able to say it straight and say it lovingly. Is there somebody that's been trying to speak truth to you in love, but you haven't been willing to receive it? First, understand that that is true love. If you have bad breath, someone that really cares about you is gonna say, dude, your mouth smells like death. you need to brush your teeth, right? It's that friend that doesn't really know you well enough that afterwards just is like, whoa, that is the worst I've ever smelled. But then it allows you to go through the rest of your day just sharing the putrid smell of death. Every once in a while, Pastor Robert will walk up to me with a roll of mints. And I know that I have a good friend that... Without saying anything, he's like, "Bro, your breath is really bad, right? Because that's the worst. If you go to your prayer, for, go to your pastor for prayer, it's like, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That was a memorable prayer, right? <laughs> so, if someone's telling you something difficult, it, it means that they really love you. And yet, are you receiving it? Okay." And then the other is, is God wanting you to have a difficult conversation with someone because God's concerned about their growth. This this is how, how we grow. In verse 16, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When these things take place, then you've got A fully functioning body, you have maturity and everybody has a part to play. That's what we hope for our physical bodies. We hope that that every part is healthy and working and if there's one part of our body that isn't functioning well, the whole body feels it. you are part of the the body of Christ. So own it, first own your calling. We're called by the Lord to walk worthy of our our calling. Is it time to get to Strider Bike and go? Is it time to walk across the gymnasium floor? Is it time to do some power walking? God would say yes, it's time. The same grace that saved you also wants to move us to to maturity and walking. So we wanna own our calling, we wanna own unity. God has a part for us to play in unity. Be careful when we're bad-mouthing believers. Many times we're not in a place where we're gonna go talk to them, we're just frustrated And we're actually being used to be divisive instead of an instrument of unity. Own unity. Own your gifts. You've been given a gift by the Lord. Maybe you don't know what your gifts are. That's okay. Start serving. Develop a heart for the kingdom and say, God, I want to bless believers, I want to serve unbelievers. And and you'll discover your gifts. But trust that God has, has given you a gift. And then own your part in the body. Realize I'm a part of the body of Christ. I've got a function to be able to play. And when you're with believers to say, Lord, how can I be used to serve other believers? How can I be used to build up other believers? So let's pray uh, together. Father, what an exciting section of scripture. Lord, we, we dream about and we think about the future growth that could happen in our lives and that's exciting. And we do pray that you'd help us to walk worthy of our calling to have lowliness and gentleness, to suffer long and bear one in, with one another in love. We thank you for the in- unity that we enjoy as a church family. Pray that you would protect that and you would bless that. God, we ask that you'd continue to bless the body of Christ as a whole in Colorado Springs, continue to build up our unity one with another. We thank you for the diversity of gifts God, I pray for those this morning that feel like they don't have a gift. Lord, would you reveal their, their gift to them? And even more so than what the specific gift is, that we would just have a heart to serve. That we would have a heart to build up the, the body. Could be outward focused. And Lord, we thank you that we are knit together. That we all do have a part to play. So would you bring the fruit that you desire through your word, in Jesus' name, amen.